0: You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Hello, everyone. I'm Carrie Nixon, and welcome to the latest episode of Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I'm so pleased to be joined today by Blake Margraff. He is the CEO of CareSignal. And CareSignal is a deviceless remote patient monitoring solution. They're serving millions of high-risk patients across the U.S. And we'll talk a little bit about how a deviceless remote patient monitoring solution works, and, and that's going to be a great part of our conversation. But uh, let me continue my intro and say, as of the end of November of this year, CareSignal became part of the Lightbeam Health family. And Blake and I are going to talk today about digital health solutions. Specifically in the value-based care realm, uh, among a couple of other things. But first, Blake, I'd like to ask you to tell us a bit about yourself. I know that you have been an entrepreneur from a very young age, and I'm interested into am, am interested as to what got you into the healthcare space.
1: Oh man, Carrie, it's a great question. Thanks so much for the opportunity to join today as well. As as I was saying before, I, I have to shamelessly uh, thank Nixon Wilt for. The partnership and the work that you've done. And thank you for making it so easy to introduce other entrepreneurs to you, given what you do for the industry, right product, right time. Well, um, thank you. I, absolutely. It's my, my privilege. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of my journey, um, for the longest time, I was pretty intent on moving into the pure research side of healthcare. I knew I wanted to work in healthcare, and uh, had some inclination toward that you know the, the positive impact that you know the philosophy of serving other people and adding healthy productive lives to the world and one of my early mentors was one of the early silicon valley entrepreneurs who had bootstrapped and sold his business uh, actually a business that used software that just made organizational charts on dot matrix printers how how uh, you know early silicon valley is that
0: yeah, we look back at that now and go dot matrix printers. What? That's right.
1: What, what we whip up in PowerPoint was an entire you know so, an entire on prem software solution for. for free. <laughs> um, and uh, and 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 he encouraged me to to look at the startup side of things as a way to focus on the areas about which I cared, but also to scale impact. I started an education technology business. Uh, with some phenomenal co-founders while I was a full-time college student. And we scaled that business to cash flow positive. Uh, that business was focused on helping keep engineers engaged in their education, especially undergraduates. It's actually a hmm. big problem. And the whole while I was looking for opportunities to move into healthcare. Once again, long, longstanding desire and uh, started CareSignal uh, with just a world-class founding team. I'm still humbled to have started the company with the folks that I did. It was born out of research Instead of going straight to uh, market with the product that we built, we built the product actually not too hard to, to build health IT solutions, at least simple ones. And then we conducted really rigorous research, everything from quality improvement studies to randomized controlled trials. Once we had uh, a good range of outcomes, not just you know in hand, but published in peer-reviewed journal publications, then we went to market. And started having conversations. And as I think we'll discuss, this was right at the early tipping point of value based care. So I think we, frankly, we, we were just really fortunate to enter the market at the time we did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to dive in a little bit to what Care Signal actually does. Uh, I described it in my intro as deviceless ro- remote patient monitoring. Talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about. Why you decided to focus on deviceless? That's a kind of unique differentiator in my experience. Um, so I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Absolutely, uh, CareSignal uses text messages and phone calls to capture uh, patient or member reported symptomatology, uh, really patient reported outcomes across a broad range of conditions or subclinical use cases like social determinants of health. And we do that because we have deep conviction that the best way to support the large rising risk patient or member populations that are the main focus these days is to meet folks where they are in uh, in a technology that they're already familiar with, as low friction, as accessible as possible. Um, and that informed our product strategy. But... We finally landed on the deviceless RPM positioning uh, years after we'd started building the product, as something that struck you know the best of both worlds type balance between remote monitoring, cumbersome, expensive, very effective for the patients that use it, but often it's too expensive or too complicated to be used, and patient engagement, which is a commodified, um, really it's hard to differentiate yourself when when there's a sea of patient engagement offerings that have no clinical evidence or impact.
0: Interesting. So, so the typical remote patient monitoring that most people think of, I believe, and certainly that, um, that I am most experienced with, is the type of monitoring that uses some sort of peripheral device, like, for example, a wireless blood pressure cuff, to capture some sort of physiologic data and transmit it to the patient's provider, right, to, to be sort of monitored did you all start out with peripheral devices or did you know right away that you didn't want to have to mess with those types of things?
1: We never wanted to mess with devices. Uh, mm-hmm. I think devices absolutely have a place, but that wasn't the focus. And uh, from a uh, positioning perspective as well, before we honed in on the deviceless remote monitoring messaging, uh, we would describe our offering as a remote monitoring or engagement solution for value-based care. And when you're fighting the value-based care battle, you have to think about things very differently than when you're trying to check boxes to get some fee-for-service dollars.
0: That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And that's a hugely important distinction, right? So uh, in the fee-for-service realm, if remote patient monitoring is going to be reimbursed, one of the requirements that CMS put in place was the use of a peripheral device. What I'm hearing from you is that that's limiting, right? It's limiting the types of technologies and and digital health uh, innovations that can be used in a fee for service realm. And what I'm also hearing from you is that maybe your focus is broader than sort of physiologic metrics. Maybe it is the patient saying, I'm not feeling well today, right? Like, I'm not feeling well. And that is relevant to care as well. Does that, does that sound right to you? Am I getting that right?
1: Exactly. So to the first part of your observation, uh, a fee for service opportunity today, if it's not managed strategically, especially for an early stage company can become a liability tomorrow. Yeah. Then uh, we, for that reason, we, you know, we enable chronic care management and some other codes, but we don't, uh, hitch our wagon purely, uh, or only to codes where, you know, we couldn't serve true value-based fully capitated populations, and, and then you nailed it. Uh, it can also be the, you know, that a focus on pure physiologic data uh, can be limiting because pulse ox, blood pressure, weight are absolutely valuable. But what about qualitative symptomatology like nocturnal pedal edema or dyspneic events or uh, whether a parent reports that a child has been using a non-connected uh, rescue inhaler more often? Opioid dependence, maternal health, and we already touched on health equity. It's the most of the world does not live in a few biometrics, and I want to capture all of that to enable better outcomes.
0: I think you, you have a, you know a pretty unique perspective there, uh, and it's a real differentiator for some of the other the other things we see in the market. So you mentioned that you generally communicate with your with the the patients who are on the the CareSignal platform via calls or text messaging. Talk a little bit about why this is. I've seen a lot of technologies uh, in the market that, you know, require some tech savviness. Is that sort of part of your thinking about maybe making it as easy as possible?
1: Yeah, it's exactly that. Um, By using the lowest technological common denominator, which is not a pejorative statement, right? The lowest common denominator means that it will be uh, accessible to as many people as possible. You can help as many people as possible. And as it turns out, we found through studies as well as millions of patients of real-world implementations that not only do people adopt uh, that type of technology more readily, they stick with it long-term as well. And that long-term mm. engagement is vital if you're going to support chronic condition. I've been told that chronic conditions don't just go away after a couple of weeks post-discharge. Um, figure, you, have yeah. design, <laughs> you have to design technology that aligns with that reality.
0: Yeah. So, to the degree that you can make utilizing a technology like like CareSignal a habit for the long term, uh, I suspect you're you're doing better at being able to intervene early at sort of managing problems early, and you know impacting um, outcomes and the overall cost for the That's long it. term. That's it. So, you also mentioned social determinants of health. You know, we we are uh, thankfully hearing a lot about health equity these days. Talk to me a little bit about how social determinants of health play in to the care signal platform and the patients that you all serve. Talk a little bit about maybe some of the the trends that you see around particular social determinants of health and, and, you know, how you're addressing those.
1: Sure. Well, in case any uh, ACO reach participants uh, come across this discussion, especially now, it's, you know, Before 2023, I think it's safe to say when when folks might might hear this, there is a massive arbitrage opportunity. Uh, Folks that start investing in health equity within their communities that are going to use geographically benchmarked performance for the preliminarily very simple SDOH or social determinants of health metrics, the folks that essentially get a jump on driving health equity are going to reap financial rewards while everybody else lags behind. So I and guess there's a financial
0: answer, incentive for the ACOs and for the providers involved, for sure, right? Exactly.
1: That's and I think that's the crux of it. I think you and I and pretty much everybody in healthcare knows that health equity, that improving health equity by supporting social determinants of health is the right thing to do, clinically, as humans. Uh, but now it's the right thing to do financially as well, and it's just going to become more and more so.
0: Well, and having that care right is extremely important. It's one thing to want to do the right thing, it's another thing to have sort of the financial resources and financial incentives backing doing the right thing. Yep. So, um how did you decide? You started care signal back in 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you always know that the value-based care sort of market was, was where you were going to land? Or how, how did you decide to play in that space? I think, I think particularly at that time, everyone's knee-jerk reaction was just to be in the fee-for-service space, right? Or at least to start out that way and then transition. How did you land solidly in the value-based care market before many others did?
1: Um, it wasn't right at the start. Right at the start, we were getting our sea legs. But a year or two after founding the company, my founding team and I had a conversation where we essentially said, "Look, should we try to keep one foot in each canoe? Um, should we build a product that can align with fee for service?" And I could I could show you text messages as recently as early 2019 from investors in CareSignal uh, asking, "Hey, do you really think this whole value-based care thing is for real? Like I'm hearing I'm hearing talk that it might essentially." Cool down for the next five years or so. Maybe you should rethink the whole strategy. Most investors of mine did not think that or see that, but but it was a. You take those text messages seriously because that's how that's how CEOs get fired <laughs> is, by, is by saying no, I'm right. I'm not going to listen to you. Yeah, um, you got
0: to hear the investors for sure.
1: You got to hear yeah, that's right, and they're very they're smart, experienced people with more data points than you have. Right. We decided that uh, it was from a risk reward perspective that it was optimal to take the risk that the value-based care trend wouldn't pan out because the reward, if we built the first product that could really scale for remote monitoring and engagement in a true value-based care arena, would make that worthwhile.
0: So, okay, so tell me how, well, I my suspicion is that you had some challenges in in convincing some of the um the ACOs that you first approached—that this was worth an additional spend. Um, I know, for example, if you're talking to ACOs sometimes about uh, remote patient monitoring with devices and sort of the way that that typically happens, they go, "Well, this is still going to count against my spend, and mm-hmm. and I'm not, you know, it's going to it's it's not going to help me meet my benchmark." How were you able to get ACOs to sort of? see the long-term longer-term payoff uh associated with actually paying to use your platform, you know, yep. how you make money and stay in business.
1: It's such a good question. So, put your put your hat on as the, you know, one of the chief um physician executives of an ACO, big ACO. Maybe you even oversee multiple, okay. I come to you and I start by saying, "Carrie, Dr. Nixon, uh we have, as a company, put our roots and our bets in research first. Here are the 13 peer-reviewed publications showing that the technology that we've built has improved clinical outcomes, not just for perfect, super healthy patients, but for your patients, for folks making $9,600 a year with COPD, for yeah. patients with end-stage renal disease. Here are the publications. Now, forget about the publications because your ACO has harder patients, has you know more strapped staff, right? Um, now let's move to real-world outcomes. Here are the case studies of real-world implementations showing the outcomes. Okay, forget about those case studies of your peers. Here is your exact population. If I cite the peer-reviewed publications, if I cite the corroborative case studies showing real-world outcomes and identical types of organizations to your ACO, to your multi-specialty physician group, to your payer that supports lots of challenging Medicaid populations— Here are the projected outcomes and the exact ROI, the number of dollars you're going to spend, the number of dollars you're going to receive on a six to to 12-month time horizon. This is not a five-year time horizon where suddenly, magically, every diabetes patient becomes better, okay? Now, if you don't believe me, after those, after the academic evidence, after the real world evidence, and after a rigorous, bottom-up, organization-specific return on investment model, if you don't believe me... I will take financial risk up to 100% on the solution I'm offering.
0: Yeah, that's key. That's key. That's key. That's
1: it. And that's that's been the approach.
0: I I got to hand it to you, Blake. That, you know, taking risk, going at risk and especially going at 100% risk, that's a risky proposition and there are, I don't think there are a lot of folks out there who frankly are comfortable enough with their value proposition, right? To be able to to, to do that. So um, I have to say hats off. And it sounds to me, frankly, like you did a tremendous amount of work laying the groundwork for showing the clinical evidence, the real world evidence, but also building the business case, like literally building the business case for each of your potential customers. Is that right? Right.
1: Exactly. It has to be down to the exact patient. And you you mentioned that we were fortunate to be acquired by Lightbeam Health Solutions, which is a population health enablement platform. And uh, Lightbeam solves the biggest problem that CareSignal always had, which was figuring out which patients or members need help. Yeah. It's it's one of those very rare, beautiful, uh, uh, accretive business alignments.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there's some real synergies there. So, we'll, so I want to go into that a little more in a minute. But, you know, you, you just said that Lightbeam identifies patients that, that need help. One, um, one really critical factor that I'm aware of in, you know, having any technology um, or innovation introduced into uh, a provider-based entity is getting clinician and physician buy-in right for use of that technology that can sometimes be an uphill battle how did you all approach getting physician buy in and maybe you you know maybe it was the ACO's job right like more more so to make sure that they, their folks were buying in but did you all play a role in that as well
1: absolutely any implementation requires not only patient remember outreach and engagement but also Meeting, meeting clinicians, meeting physicians where they are. Um, make sure that Dr. Smith understands that when her patients uh, start getting a phone call from an engagement specialist, who's of course calling on behalf of her organization, that that is blessed by the highest echelons of clinical leadership. But you know what? Don't worry about that. Here are the evidence. Here's the evidence. Here are the outcomes. Once again, let's bring it back to, you know, to uh, the language that doctor speaks. The other thing that really helps is to succeed in value-based care, a centralized care management or care coordination capability is increasingly necessary. And as that trend has taken off, that really started maybe 2018, we saw organizations investing in that like Mercy Virtual and St. Louis. That was accelerated further by the very unfortunate staffing shortage um, where now not only is that centralized capability necessary to realize efficiencies of scale, but technology is required to accelerate the scalability when there aren't enough staff to do everything manually.
0: Yep. Yep. I think that, um, that, that point can't be underscored enough at this point. We have seen physician burnout. We've seen clinician burnout. We've, we're seeing shortages at the same time. We've seen some reluctance by, um, by physicians to adopt new technologies because they're afraid they're going to be, you know, uh, displaced, right. It's going to displace them to the degree that we can position these technologies as allowing physicians and clinicians to operate at their highest level of practice, right? While, while some of the other things are taken care of uh, by technology, you know, I, I hope we can really make that case to folks because uh, I think technology plays such a huge role And it's going to play such a huge role in alleviating some of this burden and frankly, just improving uh, care overall by virtue of the fact that it's going to free clinicians up to do what they really want to and are supposed to be doing, which is like, think about like, what's going on with this patient and how can I care for them?
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: So... um, I presume you're going to continue on in the value-based care space because I because I think it's it's you know it's a reality the value-based based care is is here to stay. You've been in, involved in the remote patient uh, monitoring marketing or, or space for a long time now. What do you see in terms of sort of trends in this space? Are there any things in particular that you would call out that you're keeping your eye on?
1: Yeah, one has really been top of mind recently, and it's the idea that. Even if you just focus on the provider side, the level of sophistication required to align and implement a combination human capital plus uh, information technology solution is so sophisticated. The level of sophistication is so significant that I think we need to think about for every type of organization, maybe even every organization specifically, Building that group's pathway to value, mm-hmm. and in this case, value meaning both you know revenue with a with an appropriate uh, level of profitability or sustainability, but also the long term path to value based care, let's say by twenty thirty when Medicare means value based care mm-hmm. and that pathway to value concept has forced me and my colleagues to reframe how we combine. Uh, either the best solutions in the market uh, or build the best solutions in the market and then augment them with staffing that is so deeply integrated into the technology that it feels like one and the same. Yeah. And then it gets very, even more esoteric uh, and it becomes kind of sophistry, but I, you know, that, that pathways to value concept I think is, uh, is what I've, what I've, it's, it, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that it's appropriate for a Lavongo to come along anymore and say, Hey, you know, we're, for these organizations with this risk and this population and this type of staff or not, you know, give us this money. We're going to solve this part of the problem that it's, 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 it's kind of severe shift away from anything that resembled a point solution.
0: Yes, 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 yes. I actually agree with that. I think point solutions are, um, are well on their way sort of, um, out the door. Okay. So, so this, you know, the answer to this question may be sort of along the lines of what you just talked about, but um, before we wrap up, I want to ask you sort of what, what is next on the horizon for you care signal light beam health?
1: Um, I would like to support one of the most impactful, if not the most positively impactful improvements to health equity across the country that has ever taken place. And, uh, and we're actively working on, on what I believe can do that. Uh, I would like to build and support a team that is building the most robust pathways to value to have the greatest positive impact in US healthcare. And then speaking personally, I have to say, Carrie, it's, uh, it's just, a, I've, I, I, I've, I've learned a lot drinking from the fire hose of starting and growing and selling a company uh, for the past five, six, six years. And I'm learning as much, if not more, every day now. So I feel, I feel very fortunate. I guess keep learning is the short answer.
0: Just little small goals, nothing big there, you know, no big deal.
1: We can yeah. do it.
0: We, can, we, do it. we, can, do we it. can do it. We can do and it. I mean, love
1: it. Look at what we've worked together on. It's, it's, I know. It's there. It's the it's dominoes. CMS has lined up the dominoes. It is, yep. it is our finger that can push it down.
0: I love it. I love the enthusiasm. This is why I really wanted to have you on this on the show. I knew you would be you would uh, bring this enthusiasm to our listeners as well. So I think this is a great place to wrap. Thank you so much, Blake. Um, I am looking forward to having you on the show again at some future point uh, in the not too distant future. Maybe talking about some of those big, hairy, audacious goals and and how you've gotten there.
1: That sounds delightful. It'd be a privilege, and thank you again, Carrie, for having me on.
0: You are welcome. All right, everyone. Until next time, this is Decoding Healthcare Innovation. Thank you for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Carrie, me, or Nixon Guilt Law, go to nixonguiltlaw.com or click the links in the show notes.